word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Give us ears to hear. Let us not be distracted by things around us, but let us see the way that your word applies to our lives. And by the power of your spirit, let us live it out. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, again, like I said, we are going through the book of Samuel this fall and this winter. And uh, for some of you, that just might sound pretty interesting. Like, okay, your church goes through the Bible. That's, that's cool. And uh, when I hear the words like, oh, that's interesting that you go through the Bible or read Old Testament stories, um, I think that's kind of a, uh, a nice way of saying, um, yeah, your narrative is great for you, but I don't know if your narrative of the Bible is good for everyone or is even true. Why, you know, sure, you can preach it at your church. I don't know if it really applies to today or to the world, but go ahead and do your thing. I kind of got this kind of thinking when I was in college. Uh, What was taught to me in college in in Old Testament classes, uh, not a Christian school, was, you know, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is just a bunch of stories that the Israelites and the Hebrews got and took from other cultures. Specifically, the Canaanites, who they came in to their land. It's just Canaanite stories retold. It's not really authoritative. It's not really true. It's just borrowed stories. And stories about teachers and masters is an archetype and a a narrative that's told among many different cultures. It's just one narrative among many different religions. Well, I want to speak to that way of thinking right now this morning and kind of against it. You see, I think this story of a master and a teacher, yeah, that's true in many stories throughout. But the Israelites tell a unique position of who God is versus the rest of the world. You see, one thing that the Israelites did that the Canaanite culture and the the Philistine culture and other people around them did not do is that they did not worship and glorify prophets, priests, or kings. You see, the other cultures at that time, when one of those people died, they would worship them. They would pray to their spirits. They would do these kind of things. But the Israelites said, no, no priest, no prophet, no king is equal to the one true God, Yahweh. You see, why other cultures tried to continue to establish the line of priests and kings and say, we can establish our power by worshiping these people that have died. The Israelites said, you know, there's something different about our God. He is set apart from any person. In fact, the priests and the prophets and the kings of our culture are corrupt. And the truth is, the priests and prophets and kings of any culture are corrupt. You see... The Israelites and the Hebrews, they had a picture of God that is true and a picture of what reality is. That humanity has problems. (laughs) That no matter where you put someone in power or authority or whatever it might be, even they will fall short. They're not to be worshipped and they're not to be worshipped when they die. In fact, I find it very unique and unique throughout any culture at that time that Samuel, one that we see no faults in his life as we read through the book of 1 Samuel, when he died, he was not worshipped, he was not venerated, 
Instead, when he died, he died. So, I don't know if you're there. Maybe you're a kind of person that says, I doubt whether the Bible is authoritative. I doubt whether it's really true. I doubt if it really speaks to every single culture at every single time. I want to question your doubt right now. Maybe you have that doubt or maybe um, a friend of yours does. Do you think the God of the universe, to be able to speak to an unbelieving people, which is us, humanity, might have picked a people, the Israelites, to show his glory to, so that they would be able to show his glory to the rest of the world? I think that's what God's plan of salvation is. And through that people came Jesus Christ. Well, at the same time, we shouldn't say, aren't the Hebrews the lucky ones? That they got it. That they figured it out. That they knew that God was God and they worshipped him and obeyed him. That's not really true because even the Israelites had some problems. <laughs> and we're going to see this in 1 Samuel, what kind of problems that they have. So I want to read again, verse 1 and 2. Look with me again. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so he could not see, was lying down in his own place. These first two verses tell us a lot. What they tell us is that things in Israel have gotten really bad. It's gotten so bad that the place to worship God, the temple, the tabernacle, even those that serve in it, have become corrupt and have become a problem. Example, Eli, his sons, as some of you might have saw in 1 Samuel 2, his sons, they were taking the sacrifices that people gave as a guilt offering to God to forgive their sins, and they were stealing it from them and eating it themselves. In fact, they were getting fat along with their father from stealing all this food. And on top of that, Eli's sons were also sleeping with the women that were serving in the temple. It had gotten bad. And there was a representation of how bad it was that it says, this is what was happening. Eli's sight had begun to grow dim and he was lying down in his own place. You see, that is figurative to show that Even Eli was not able to see the Lord. He was not even in the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle. He was outside. Well, the person that was actually in the tabernacle was this young boy, Samuel, who had been brought to Eli in the temple to serve. It had become a dire situation in Israel. And it had become such a problem. This is where the tension lies. That would these tribes, these 12 tribes of Israel were fighting amongst each other. The Philistines were raising in power. There was questions, would Israel make it? Would they continue on? Would the Lord Yahweh really keep his promises to these people? And this is the tension that we're in. Seeing that even the one that's supposed to be the spokesperson, the prophet, the priest of Israel, his eyesight is failing. He is growing old, and we don't know if God will even speak. And like a good story, there is that glimpse of hope. And we see it here. Let's again look at verse 2, or verse 3. 
The lamp of God had not yet gone out. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Who would be the hope? Who would show that God was God and he was still speaking to his people? Who would be the savior? And then the story turns to this young boy, Samuel. And again, like a good story, this is where the tension builds. Would this young boy, who one, does not know what it means for the Lord to speak, who is being taught by a corrupt man, who is away from his own parents, would he be able to actually hear from the Lord? Would he be the salvation? Could he do it? Despite all that's around him, all the the tension that is around him, could he be able to hear from God with who he's being taught by? And again, like a good story, the tension builds. God does come and he speaks to Samuel. To, to Samuel. And what does Samuel do? He doesn't know it's God. He thinks it's Eli that's talking to him. And if you're just reading the story for the first time, I know it's hard. Some of you have heard this story over and over again. Imagine hearing it for the first time. You're like, okay, is Israel going to make it? Are they going to survive? Is God still going to speak? And then God speaks to this young boy who's around all these problems. And what does the young boy, you're like, yes, finally. And what does the young boy do? He runs away. And he goes to talk to Eli. And you're like, oh no, this is trouble. He's going to go talk to this guy? And then Eli says, oh, just go back and sleep. Just go back. And he goes back. And then God comes again. Samuel. And then you're like, oh no, the second time. He better get it this time. He doesn't. He goes back to Eli again. And Eli says, just go back and lay down. And now you're worried if you're Israel. Will he get it? Will God really speak? Will Samuel really understand? And then a third time, man, God is persistent. (laughs) And this time when he goes back to Eli, finally, this old man that has a problem in eyesight and being able to hear from the Lord, he hasn't even heard from the Lord in such a long time. He finally perceives, oh, that might be God speaking. And Samuel goes back and there's hope that God will speak again, which he does. And Samuel listens and hears and asks of the Lord. Well, if anything, God is persistent. He is after his people, even if the light is dim, that there is still hope. The threes of going and speaking to someone three times so they finally get it is a constant thing in the Bible. Uh, I think one story of Peter where Jesus talks to Peter three times and says, feed my sheep. And Peter doesn't believe it the first time. He doesn't believe it when Christ says it the second time. And then the third time, finally, it sinks in that Christ loves him, that he cares for him. This is my question this morning. How do you know? How do you know if you're hearing from God? How do you know if God is speaking to you and talking to you? How do you know? Well, I think one way we can know is persistence. Persistence. 
I think if Eli, even he was blind, but finally he saw the persistence of what was happening. And even a blind squirrel can find a nut. And he says, yes, it might be God speaking to you. And I can think of times in my life where the same kind of issues seem to come up over and over and over again. And then I share with people that are not even Christians. And um, they say to me, you know, um, it seems like this issue comes up a lot in your life. Do you think there might be something that you need to be working on? (laughs) And maybe people in the church say that to you or others. You know, it seems like this issue in my life just seems to come up over and over again. I want you to think, do you think that might be God speaking to you? Telling you, you know, I want to work on this area of your life. I want to take control of that. In fact, I know you so well. I created you. You know, these things that are in your life right now, I maybe placed them in your life so that you can be able to see that you need to rely on me to be able to overcome or deal with these things. So persistence. Can a supernatural God be trying to speak to you? And are you listening? And really not just individually, are we listening as a church? Are we listening in the way that God is doing that in our children, in our friends, that we can speak into their lives and say, you know, God might be doing something in your life. God might be trying to get your attention. Well, the truth is, um, when I was in Sunday school as a young kid, Um, I heard the story of uh, God speaking to Samuel in the temple over and over again. I don't know if any of you also heard that growing up in Sunday school. It seems to be a a popular Old Testament story to tell kids. Um, But this is what I found out, that usually the story in Sunday school stops after God speaks. (laughs) After Samuel finally gets, God, speak to me. And uh, you don't get the latter part of the story. But I want to point something out to you. I think the true crisis of this story, the true issue, the true story of God will speak comes with how Samuel will react to the message that God gives him. Okay, hear me. What is the message that Samuel is given by God? Your father figure Your master, the priest of Israel, is corrupt. How corrupt is he? He's so corrupt that I'm going to wipe him out and his family from ruling in that kind of way forever. Could you imagine being an eight-year-old kid, hearing that message from God, and God saying, I think you should tell this to your father. To the priest of Israel. I think you should communicate that message to him. Will the student become the master? This is my point. If you're going to hear anything this morning, please hear this. This is kind of the idea. We know we are listening to God when his word is authoritative in our life. We know we are truly listening to God when his word is authoritative in our life. And the question for Samuel is, 
is the word from God authoritative over his father, Eli, that he will be able to speak it to him. And my question for you this morning is the same. Is God's word, is his authority, is it above your emotions, even if your emotions are saying something else? Is it able to correct things that you think, oh, uh, that shouldn't be corrected? Is his word authoritative to say to you, it will take you places where you think I could never go or I don't want to go? Is his word authoritative in your life to be contrary to what you think, what you emote, what you want? And here with Samuel, we see that he is able to take the word of the Lord and he's able to speak it back. As hard as it might be, he speaks it back to his master. Will Evans. Will Evans saw two figures. One was his dad, Dan Evans. The other was Ben Wade. And Ben Wade was an outlaw. An outlaw that robbed and stole and killed people, and was wanted in many different states. And if you've seen the movie, or read the books, or seen the old movie, 310 to Yuma, this is the character of Ben Wade in this movie. And you see, the son, Will Evans, sees Ben Wade, this outlaw that gets all the women he wants, (laughs) that gets the life that he wants, and says, this is what it means to truly live. And then he sees his own father. Will Evans, a man that was crippled in the Civil War, a man that is losing his ranch, a man that seems to not have anything together in the world's eyes. And the question for Will is, will he follow his father or will he follow Ben Wade? And that's the whole movie, 310 to Yuma. And you see that Dan Evans captures Ben Wade And with a a posse, he's going to take Ben Wade to this train, the 310 to Yuma, to go to jail. And Will's dad, Dan, says, I will do it. I will come with to help guard and get this man to jail. And the thing is, his son comes too. And throughout the movie, we see his son look at, which man do I want to be? Do I want to be like Ben Wade or do I want to be like my father? And you see, he gravitates toward wanting to be the outlaw like Ben Wade. And throughout the movie, you see, which, which route will he choose? And the end movie, it's... it's uh, 310 Yuma fans, anyone? 310 Yuma? Oh, maybe some. Eric's like, yeah, I've seen, seen every movie. Yeah, 310 Yuma, that's good. But the end, this is where the twist is. You see, Dan Wade, He dies. I'm sorry, Dan, Dan uh, his father, Will's father, dies. And then Ben Wade is left with just the son to put him on the train. And you know his son can't fight against Ben Wade. It just can't happen. But the twist is this. That Ben Wade sees how Will's father has lived. He sees his character. He sees the way that he has lived the right way. And Ben says, you know what? He gets on the train himself. 
without being forced. And he says, I trust that the way this man lived is the way that I should live. And he puts himself in those chains and he puts himself in the cell car and the train and he goes off. I think it is very similar to this story. You see that Eli, he sees that God has spoken to Samuel. And he says, I have lived wrongly, but I see that God is God and I will follow him. I want to live by his authority. This is the way that I should go. I want to apply this in one way. I want to talk to parents this morning. Parents, we have been given authority over our children. And that authority doesn't come from us just being parents. That authority has been given to us from God. And when we discipline our children, uh, it's not so that they would do our bidding. Oh, I do it so uh, you will be well behaved, so you'll do the dishes, so I won't have to work more. I want to do this. I want you to be well behaved so you go to bed at the right time so I can relax more. We don't discipline our kids just to do our bidding. The main goal of disciplining our children is to point them that their authority comes from God and that God is both over them and he is over us. And God has appointed us to be the ones that bring authority over our children. See, discipline to our kids is the way that we show love for them. In the same way that when God disciplines us and shows authority over us, he is loving us. You see, there's going to come a day where my oldest daughter, Ellie, is no longer going to come under my authority. She's going to leave the house. And uh, she's going to be under the authority of a teacher or uh, a boss. She's going to be authority over taxes or whatever it might be. She's going to be under authority of something. My question is, will Ellie be able to understand the authority of God when she gets out of my authority? Will she see that there is an authority above her? One that cares for her, one that helps her, one that disciplines her. Or instead, when she gets out of the house, will she say, I can live any way I dang well please. I can do anything I want because there is no authority now. My worry is that many times we might train kids in the wrong way. And that we should train our kids that when they do get out of our house and they are disciplined by work or jobs or whatever it might be, that they know that's okay. That's okay that life doesn't turn out the way I want to. Or maybe someone directs me in the way I want to go. To go or maybe things are frustrating. Because my parents have taught me that there is an authority over them and there is an authority over me. And when children are in our house growing up, they are seeing that there is an authority. And hopefully we are showing that to them. Because when they get out of the house and they don't see that authority... Many times they'll think, I can live any way I want to. And they'll be frustrated and they'll be upset. Well, we see the end of the chapter. And I'll land the plane here. 
And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. We have bookends here. God was not there. Now God is here. He has revealed himself to his people. He has revealed himself to Israel through Samuel. And now Samuel is the prophet of Israel. The one is the mouthpiece of God that speaks directly what God has given to him like he did to Eli. Now he gives it to the people. You know, there, I read this in Hebrews. There will come a greater prophet, and there came a greater prophet, greater than Samuel, that also spoke the words of truth. Not just words, but also action and life. You see, Jesus is the greatest prophet. Samuel led the way to the prophet that would come and speak the very words of God. I'll I'll tell you, I love to read these narratives and sometimes I like to put myself in the story. That's really what narratives do. Who am I in the story? Am I Samuel? Am I Eli? And as a good Christian and pastor, of course, I'm Samuel. I hear from God. I speak his truth all the time. But the truth is, I'm a lot like Eli. I don't always want to speak God's truth when it's hard. I don't always want to live that way. I don't always want to discipline my kids to the full extent that I should. And when Jesus comes... And he speaks words to us. It's a lot like Samuel. We are just battered against the wall. Jesus says, you fall short. You are weak. You are people that don't listen. You are people that sin. And Jesus' words, when they come to us, they just batter us against the wall. And they can crush us. But the thing is, Jesus' words ultimately don't crush us. They save us. Because the true prophet became the true priest and the true sacrifice. That Jesus Christ, his words to us that might show us that we have need, that we have fallen short, then says, I am the one that will help you and fulfill you and forgive you. You might feel like Eli. You might feel like, man, I am not living the way and hearing the way I should. And Jesus says, let me be your authority. And he says, you know what? I am the word. I am the word that you should listen to, that you should follow, that you should trust in. Because I am a word that forgives and bears with. As with those that feel crushed, I will bring life. You know, God might not speak audibly. Maybe he has to you, I don't know. He hasn't spoken audibly to me. But he has given me his son. And I hear his voice in the words that I read in scripture. The question is, do I really hear them and believe that they're authoritative in my life? Do I believe that he says to me, Dan, you are my son that I love that I care for, that I have forgiven. Say your name. 
Tom, you know, Gary, Jeremy, Mark, Allison, you are my children that I love. That is Christ's authoritative word over your life. Do you believe it? Do you trust in it? Will you live it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your beauty this morning. But thank you more than that, the beauty of your word. That is not returned void. In fact, when it is heard, we live it out. God, I pray that we would be a church that hears. We'd be a people that hears. That we would have children and parents that hear your word and live it out. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.